Good morning, Park Church. Uh, it's so good to be with you once again. Uh, and, and again, to, th- to those who, who are new this morning, I introduced myself to someone uh, for whom this is their very first time here. Uh, if you're new, again, so am I. Welcome. Uh, you're in good company. Uh, I want to begin just by reiterating two things that were already mentioned. One is the event that we had last Thursday evening here. If you were volunteering here, raise your hand. Let me just raise your hand. Okay, high, nice and high. Own it. Okay, okay, everyone look around. Raise your hand. Okay, here's what I want you to do. So at some point today in the service, or after the service, I want you to walk up to one of the people with their hands up. Don't say thank you, okay? Say, I'm jealous, all right? Because I stopped by and we had such a blast. It was so fun to see these beautiful families come to to share a meal together, to watch the kids just playing outside. And by the kids, I mean Jane getting beaten with all of these uh, fun noodles by all the kids. Uh, And then to distribute backpacks. Like, there's so much about what happened last Thursday night is an echo of God's heart. And, uh, and I hope this is the first of what will become many such events. So, so I'll say thank you to those of you who came and served and volunteered. Um, and I look forward to seeing what's next. Uh, the second thing I want to mention uh, is just to reiterate the fact that community groups are starting back up. Uh, where, where my wife and I served previously, uh, we had the privilege of, of both uh, leading and hosting a community group. And what, what we do here on Sunday mornings is utterly essential to, to becoming the people that God wants us to be. When we gather for corporate worship, it's so important. Um, and, and yet, it's not sufficient. It's essential, but it's not sufficient. Uh, I, I want to encourage anyone who's, who, if, if you're kind of on the fence like, oh, should I jump into a community group? Should I take that step? Um, I'll just make it really easy for you. Yes, <laughs> you should. Um, because this, like I said, is essential and so important. But if you, if you want to dive deeper into relationships with other followers of Jesus, uh, if you want to kind of transcend the status quo of simply coming on Sundays and consuming religious goods and services, um, then, then jump into a community group. Jump into a relationship. Um, that, that's my, my public service announcement for this, for this morning. Uh, th- this morning, we are talking about generosity. More specifically, we are talking about the generosity of God and how, how the ways that we think about God and his generosity actually determines both our theology, what we think God is like, but also the way that our lives as well. Uh, I'm going to read a story this morning from, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, open that up or open your app. We've also got the text behind me. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. We're continuing through a series that we're in right now called Snapshots of Jesus, where we've been looking at either stories or teachings or, in this case, a parable of Jesus uh, and, and the whole point of this series is just to take a closer look at Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is God's word for God's people. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. They answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, okay, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, uh, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Will you pray with me? Father, you are generous. And we pause right now and just recognize that reality. Uh, we, we respond in gratitude. We, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for giving us the scriptures. We thank you for speaking to us, for not being distant, aloof, and quiet, but for speaking to us through scriptures, such as these words of Jesus this morning. Do not let these words fall on deaf ears. Do not let us leave unchanged. We love you too, God, and we pray in the name of your Son who's here with us now through his Spirit. Amen. So Jesus tells this story, and, and he often begins stories, or parables as we often call them, uh, with this, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells this story. It's fascinating. The vast majority of teaching that Jesus does centers around this idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, God's reign and God's rule. What does it look like when God is king? This is what Jesus is wanting his disciples to understand more and more and more. And so he tells this story about a landowner who we then, as the hearers of this story, are, are to liken in some way to God. 
And all throughout this story, sown throughout this story, is this basic theme of generosity. That this is a landowner who is generous. In verse 1, the landowner hires men to come and work. He, he provides an opportunity of employment for workers to come and work in his field. In verse 2, he agrees to pay them a denarius, which is a fair day's wage. He's not looking to rip anyone off. He offers them a, a fair wage. In verses 3 through 7, he, he goes back to the marketplace, not one time, not two times, not three times, four times, he goes back to hire more workers, to give more people an opportunity to earn a day's wage. In verses 6 through 7, he, we get this hint that, that he's willing to hire people whom no one else would. At 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes back to the marketplace. And, and there's this interesting exchange with the people standing there. He says, oh, why? why are you guys just standing around? And they're like, well, no one has given us work. You got to wonder why. Like, what's, what's wrong with these people? And this guy, is, this landowner is like, well, come on, I will give you work. He gives a job to those whom no one else would. And then it all com- culminates in verse 9. When the twist comes at the end, he ends up paying the people he hired last the same amount as everyone else. This landowner is generous. But some of the workers misunderstand the generosity of the landowner. They misunderstand his generosity. And and I want to suggest this morning that if we're paying attention, if we're listening carefully, we'll find that in very similar ways, we often misunderstand God's generosity. And we do this, I want to suggest, by believing lies. And so I want to... to share with you two common lies that I think we often believe when it comes to the nature of God's generosity. And the first is this. We, we often believe, it's so easy to believe, that God's generosity is fundamentally based on our performance. That God's generosity is fundamentally based on our performance. This is what the workers in the field thought. Did you catch that? See, Jesus is he's so masterful in the way that he tells stories. So when the workers who were hired last received the full day's wage, the workers who were hired first thought, oh, wow, they're getting paid the full wage. I wonder what that means for me. <laughs> you know, we're, 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 we're going to do pretty well here. If, if this guy who worked like 30 minutes got the full day's wage, I mean, what what are we going to get? And we're told, Matthew tells us, they expected to receive more because they believed in their mind that the generosity of the landowner was directly determined by their performance. They did the math. They figured it out. And it's so easy to assume this about God's generosity, isn't it? It's so easy to assume that, that God's generosity is determined by what we do. I think we all do this to some degree. And here's the problem, though. When we do this, 
when we believe the lie that God's generosity is based on our performance, we tend to, we tend to turn God into a negotiator. Right? We tend to, he, he becomes this negotiator, someone with whom we can bargain. And maybe it's just me, I don't know, but have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, if you would, if you would just fix my marriage, then I promise, I promise I'm going to start taking my faith seriously. If you would just do this. God, if, if you would just let me get this job promotion, I'm going to start tithing regularly. I'm, I, I am. If you would just do this for me, I promise. God, if you would just heal my child or my spouse or my friend, then I, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to start coming to church regularly again. Right? God, if you would just give us a child. God, if you would just fill in the blank, then I promise I will stop this bad habit. Do, do you see how when we begin to believe the lie that, that God's generosity is based on our performance, we turn him into a negotiator and, and we begin to use our good things that we do as bargaining chips with God, as if we could in some way leverage what we do to to bend God's generosity in our favor, to get what we want. The problem, though, the fundamental problem with this lie is that God is not a negotiator. He's the creator. Every single good thing that we have is a gift from God. Think about this, like literally every single moment you take a breath, gift. Every time that you eat, gift. It's, it's as if God designed the world and our life in such a way to remind us every moment of every day of how good he is and how he wants to provide for us and how we are dependent upon his generosity. Every breath. Like, there's nothing you can give God that he did not first give to you. Even the good things that we do. If you do something good, let's say last Thursday night, the reason why you're able to do that is because God made you with the capacity to do good things. Every single good thing that we have is a gift from God. Brother James Chapter 1, verse 17 puts it this way. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Uh, Paul, in, uh, in Romans, chapter 11, puts it this way. He put, wrap your mind around this. He says, from him and through him and for him are all things Think about that. Like, from him, through him, and for him are all things. God is not a negotiator. He is the creator. We can't bargain with him because he's not generous because of what we do. One, one New Testament scholar puts it this way. God doesn't make contracts with us. 
as if we could bargain or negotiate for a better deal. He makes covenants in which he promises us everything and asks of us everything in return. When he keeps his promises, he is not rewarding us for effort, but doing what comes naturally to his overflowingly generous nature. God is not generous because of what we do. He's generous because of who he is. Are you with me this morning? It's like a, like a mom. Think of a good mom. Many of you are this mom that I'm thinking about right now. A mom... Think of a mom who wakes up every morning and makes breakfast for her kids, her small kids. Every morning, she gets up, she makes breakfast, the kids get up, they eat, and move on. The next day, she gets up, she makes breakfast, the kids get up and eat. Day after day after day, this mom, and you know the mom I'm talking about, she gets up and she does this. Why does she do this? Is it because her kids have earned it? Is it because they've deserved it? <laughs> Imagine one morning the kids get up and there's no food on the table, and the kids are like, Mom, we're hungry. And she's like, not today. <laughs> you guys were terrors yesterday. <laughs> there will be no breakfast, right? No, that wouldn't happen, because that's not why this mom gives her kids food day after day after day. This mom makes breakfast for her kids because it's who she is because she has imbibed the vocation of motherhood. It's out of an overflowing love for her kids that she feeds them. This is what God is like. God's generosity is not based upon our performance, as if we can some way leverage what he gives us. God is generous, not because of what we do, but because of who he is is. And that's really good news. That's good news. But there's, there's one more lie, though. There's one more lie that I, I see in this text that I think is very tempting to believe, and, and it's this. Lie number two. God's generosity is all about me. God's generosity is all about me. Did you notice the reaction of the workers? The reaction of the workers when, when those who were hired first saw how generous the landowner was with those who were hired last? The, the workers who were hired first were not like, oh, wow, this guy is so generous. That's amazing. Uh, their reaction was not, hey, good for those workers. I know they've had a lot of trouble lately getting work. But here they are like, what a blessing. I'm so, I'm so happy for them. No, they, what Matthew tells us, they expected to receive more. He tells us in verse 10, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Their thoughts were utterly centered upon themselves. The landowner's generosity for them really was all about what they could get. 
what they could receive. It wasn't at all about others. See, when we believe the lie, when I believe the lie, that God's generosity is really just about me, what, what I end up doing is turning God into a sort of divine Santa Claus. And I think it's really easy to think of God as a divine Santa Claus. I think many of us do this all the time without even thinking about it. An infinitely generous gift giver just waiting for us to ask him for the things that we want. I've, I've literally heard teaching, like formal teaching from Bible teachers who say things like, the only reason you have not gotten that promotion, the only reason you have not yet gotten that car, that new car. The only reason is because you haven't asked God for it. He's, he's just up there waiting. And he's holding back all these goodies. And the only reason you haven't gotten it is because you haven't asked him. Right? As if God has nothing better to do than just sit there and wait for the phone to ring, for your prayer to come in, asking for something. Right? But they, see, this sort of theology is based fundamentally on a lie lie is that God's generosity is about me. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a second. Isn't God an infinitely generous gift giver who wants to give us things? Doesn't God delight in giving us what we need? Doesn't Jesus even invite us to ask for our daily bread and for forgiveness and not to be led into temptation and for deliverance from evil. In fact, didn't we just learn that God's giving is not based upon our performance, but, but on his character? Isn't this who God is? What's the difference between a Santa Claus God and the true living God? Man, you guys ask good questions. That's a great question. Thank you. That's a great question. What's the difference between a Santa Claus God and the true living God. One, one of my favorite uh, theologians today, Miroslav Volf, wrote, wrote a great book, or a phenomenal book, called Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. He's a theologian at Yale. I would say he's my favorite American theologian, but I think he's Croatian. Um, and so he's a theologian at Yale, and yet he loves Jesus. Uh, which sadly is not the case for all the theologians at Yale. And, and in this book, he, he draws this beautiful distinction between the Santa Claus God and the living God. And this is what he said. He said, a Santa Claus God gives simply so we can have and enjoy things. The true God gives so we can become joyful givers and not just self-absorbed receivers. God's vision for humanity all along has been this. God's vision for human flourishing, what, what it means for us to be made in his image is not simply that we might become receptacles of God's blessing, but that we might become conduits of his blessing. Not just 
receivers, but people who receive so that in the process of receiving, we might actually be transformed in the depths of who we are and become conduits, vehicles of his generosity, of his wisdom, of his grace. This is what the whole creation narrative in the first few pages of the Bible is about. We, we reflect as image bearers. We reflect God's character to the world around us so that when the world looks at us, they see what God is like, and then, and then they are drawn right? They're drawn, and then they, the, all creation worships, worships God, and then we sum up the praises of creation, right? We reflect God's character to the world around us, witness. We sum up the praises of creation to God, worship. This is what it means to be human, to be image bearers, worship and witness, worship and witness. God's generosity is not about me. And we see this theme throughout the whole biblical story from the very beginning, right? Within the first few pages, we, we see that humanity had failed miserably to bear God's image and to, to be effective caretakers of his creation. We were to be stewards of this world, and, and we failed. But you see, God, God loved his creation too much to let it just stay the way that it was. So, so we come to around chapter 12 of Genesis when, when God introduces himself to a man named Abram, later to be called Abraham. And the conversation goes something like this. This is not from the NIV. This is the MFV, Michael's Fun Version. Uh, it's my <laughs> translation. But it goes something like this. God's like, Abram, hi. I'm God. Nice to meet you. Uh, Abram, I know you're having a rough time. You and your wife are infertile. You want, you want a kid so bad. And you know what? I'm going to give you a kid. I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. And in fact, I'm not just going to give you one. I'm going to give you so many, you won't even be able to count them. Like, look up. Look up at the sky. See how many stars there are? You're going to have more kids than that. He blesses Abraham, but here's the deal. He doesn't stop there. He says, and by the way, why I'm going to do this, it's so that through you, through your descendants, you will be a blessing to the world. See, his family eventually was called Israel, right? And the whole biblical story is about this people, Israel, trying to live out this vocation of being God's image bearers, the very original vocation that was given to Adam and Eve. This is what it meant to be the people of God, to bear God's image. They were to be a light to the nation so that when the world looked at Israel, they would see what God is like and they would be drawn. They would be drawn and therefore reconciled to God. And like every single one of us, Israel failed time and time and time again until eventually God said, okay, I'm going I'm to write myself into this redemption story. And then comes Jesus. Then comes Jesus, and he gives everything that he has. He is a walking embodiment of the generosity of God. He gives his very life so that you and I, by fixing our eyes on him, by knowing him, by following him, we might experience the life and generosity that God has always intended for us to have.
so that we might become the sorts of joyful givers that we were created to be. Do not believe the lies. God's generosity is not based on our performance. God's generosity is not fundamentally about you or about me. It's about something much bigger that he's doing in this world that he loves so much. I want to end this morning simply with two questions. The first question is a live question, and I want responses. The, the second question is simply for prayerful reflection. The first question is this. What has God given you? We, we don't do this enough, I don't think. One day a year, we live in a society where we give thanks. It's called Thanksgiving, right? Every day, if you are a follower of Jesus, every day is Thanksgiving. What has God given you? How has God been generous to you? Let me hear. Shout it out. Friendship. Friendship. Health. Health. Child. Child. Children. Beautiful. Healthy spouse. Forgiveness. Amen. Everything. Yes, absolutely. A house. Choices. Like, that's amen. Amen. I, I, I think I'm looking at my wife right now. I think, man, I don't deserve her. She's a gift. Every good thing that we have is a gift from God. Second question this morning, and this is, this is for you to prayerfully reflect on. I'm going to take a moment of silence here, and then I'm going to close us with prayer. But here's the question. How might God be inviting you to be generous? Like, like today this week, in your family, at your workplace, within this church family? How might God be inviting you, perhaps in a new or unexpected way, to be generous? Let's take a moment to just reflect on this question together and then all close us with prayer. Father, you are generous, not because of what we do, but because of who you are. And for that, we say thank you. All glory, all honor, and all praise be to you. And Father, you, you are generous to us, not simply for its own sake, but you are generous to us so that we might become joyful givers ourselves, so that we might become conduits. Please have your way with us this morning as a church family, as we continue to look toward the future that you are calling us to as a church with a spirit of anticipation. Help us to increasingly embody, to reflect, to, to see and then to show to the world around us the generosity that we have experienced in you. 
Father, we, we love you too. And we pray this morning in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave everything for us. And we pray by the power of your spirit who is here with us now, stirring the affections of our heart for you. Amen.